This episode of the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast is brought to you by Amato Books. Keep an eye out for deals there, amatobooks.com. Some of the best books as far as informational, um, just literature on Salmon Trout and Steelhead. So I'd really encourage you to go check out the store. You'd be surprised how much you can learn and, um, you know, some of some incredible books there. One, one that I really enjoy is the wild steelhead by JD McPhail. I think, uh, for people that are really interested in steelhead kind of biology, where they go in the ocean, you know, all those sort of details, definitely check out amatobooks.com. And this is an article by Cameron Black from addicted fishing, as well as gone catch and guide service, uh, about kokanee fishing. And I've been out with uh, Cameron uh, fishing in uh, some of the lakes in southwest Washington. Certainly knows what uh, what to do, what's going on. And the first time I fished with him, it really revolutionized the way that I fish and put me on a lot more fish. So without further ado, here's the article, Stay on Target by Cameron Black. Kokanee fishing can be a mind game. At my local lakes, there seems to be a divide between those that get it and those that don't, and not much in between. Sitting at the docks talking with the anglers usually yields two results. Limits are dang close, (coughs) or just a handful to nothing at all. What creates this huge gap in success? Is it lure size, speed, presentation, location, or depth? Well, it's actually all of them. The learning curve is steep things click and the fish start flowing to the boat and it seems you can do no wrong or you follow a boat that seems to be calling all the fish in the lake to their gear and it seems as if you might as well have brought popcorn just to wash the show why are they doing so much better how come it seems they're getting 10 to 1 on bites you're using the hottest new lure and color what gives you have one thing wrong and it's changing your catch rate from hero to zero Now, I understand that catching and killing kokanee isn't everything to every angler on a day out on the lake, but everyone has been there when they have a special guest with them, a buddy or a grandkid, and they want success. After all, kokanee fishing can be one of the most action-packed trips when it comes to salmon fishing, quote-unquote, even if they are a little on the smaller side. And delicious, if I might add. Hopefully, I've already established that if you're looking to have a good catch rate when the conditions allow, you need to have all your ducks in a row. But what does a kokanee angler prioritize in front of another when it comes to variables? I have an order that I developed when it comes to chasing kokanee, and generally, if I figure out the first three, the rest never get changed as they are not needed. Kokanee anglers get lost in the weeds on variables that I don't believe matter near as much as others. And while sometimes they have success changing the smaller variables, they unknowingly were adjusting one of the big three and that's where the difference was made. Starting with targeting, understanding where your active fish are in the lake and water column is the obvious first no-brainer. What I consider the big three when fishing dodgers are targeting, presentation, size, and speed. The rest, lure color, scent, lure choice, dodger color, and the color of corn. Starting with targeting, 
It doesn't matter how cool and new the kokanee lure is, what color it is, what it smells like, and how fast it's going, if it never gets in front of one to get seen, nothing's going to happen. This seems like an obvious statement, but there are a lot of factors that throw people off. Electronics can be one of them, as chasing marks that aren't kokanee can waste an angler's time as they're targeting fish that aren't interested in their gear or are dormant. Surfish fish that are invisible to standard electronics may make the angler think they aren't around the fish, but the boat could be flaring school after school with the anglers not knowing. Have a good understanding of what your electronics show and what they are capable of. If fish are not visible with traditional sonar, utilize a side scan feature for a while and see if they are just too shallow to be under the boat. Once you are confident you are correctly targeting fish either on the surface or at depth, then it's time to decide what to throw at them. These days I almost always start with a variation of a Brad's Kokanee Dodger and a smallish lure. Spin glow, hoochie, hoochie spinner, at this point it really doesn't matter. Make sure the Dodger is imparting action on the offering with a short leader, 8 to 11 inches long, and you're not weighing the hooks down with more than one piece of corn. Next, get it in front of them. Being proficient at fishing usually comes from making the right decisions at the right time. Judging how long to run an offering before changing is only a call a person can make at that exact moment. Are there other boats catching? Is the weather allowing me to troll effectively? Am I keeping my offering in front of fish? If you are feeling like you are checking all those boxes, then switching every 10 minutes or so might make sense. If the fish are scattered, the wind is only allowing you to troll a little bit before you are going too fast or too slow or debris is affecting how long you can actually fish unimpeded. You might want to soak those offerings a little longer. So let's say you've started with your initial setup and feel confident you have presented it correctly in front of fish. Now what? Over years of experience, this next decision has led to more fish being caught than anything else when I can't buy a bite. It's not the color or the scent of the presentation, it's the size. At this point, I have something that is shying the fish away or not getting enough attention from the fish. I like to move the size up and down before anything else. Moving up to a Brad's Kokanee cut plug can put a lot of action on your corn in a hurry, or moving down to the tiniest of spinning glows can entice a bite from wary fish. Either way, I've seen that change have a dramatic effect on my bites more than anything else. Another huge piece to the puzzle is speed. We've all seen it before, an outside rod on a turn getting nailed, a gust of wind triggering a bite. Speed can be super critical. What I find is that kokanee can be super sensitive to the speed to where the difference of 0.2 to 0.3 miles per hour can change everything. Once you've started getting some grabs due to targeting and presentation size, you may need to adjust your speed to fine-tune it even more. Pay attention to which rods are getting bites when you make a turn, as in if the outside or inside rods are the one being bit, and either speed up or slow down respectively. With the big three, I try to avoid situations where an angler thinks color had everything to do with their success and not any of the variables listed. A few days ago, I met an angler that caught a few fish that day on a peak hoochie. It was the only thing he had got bites on. He switched everything to the pink hoochies, but never got the results that he had on the one rod versus the others. I asked him what else he was running, and he stated he had orange on the other rods. 
Then I asked him where he was fishing in the water column and found out the pink was on the surface and everything else was down at least 30 feet. Due to the time of year and conditions, no matter what he ran at 30 feet, it wasn't going to get touched even though he switched out those rods to the hot color. His surface rod with the pink hoochie kept catching a few, but his other rods didn't have a prayer. For the most part, they're curious biters and anything that you are throwing at them doesn't replicate anything that they have either fed on or smelled. There's no corn hatch on our lakes. Every now and then, when you have gear in front of them, you narrow down what size presentation they prefer and you have a good speed, scent can spur some additional bites. There are some great scents out there, but once again, it's not going to be the magic bullet if you're not in front of them. It does seem like anglers either get it or they don't when it comes to kokanee catching. Good limits or scratching a few. Now I'll be the first to admit there are days when even the best targeting and presentations can't will a bite out of the fish, or at least the amount I want. But for the most part, if I'm going to turn on a slow bite, I'll make an adjustment in the big three categories first. So this is just a nice little article from Cameron Black. Uh, who put some impressive amounts of silver bullets on board in the gone catching boat. And, uh, you know, like he said, the size of your presentation, whether it be going smaller and smaller for wary fish or bigger and bigger for fish that want an aggressive lure in front of them, it could be um, speed. Speed is a huge factor. For me, kind of one of the things I do is I'll go anywhere from one mile an hour to about 1.8 and just constantly switch it up if I'm on the motor I'll you know not getting bites for a little bit I'll speed it up for a little bit no bites slow it down for a little bit oh there's a bite I'm gonna keep it slower now vice versa of course depths are huge um, there are days you know I noticed I was fishing with Cameron and we had days we'd go through a school um, and the surface rods would get bit, but also the rods on the downriggers would get bit. And we'd kind of go through a school that had varying depths and definitely pick up more by having a staggered approach there of some at, you know, 30, 15 and surface. So if you're a kokanee angler out there, there's lots to learn. Um, like he said, a good old dodger with a short leader. I prefer a hoochie spinner in pink or orange with a piece of corn on it, run some on the surface. Of course, I don't mean top water fishing. That dodger should be heavy enough to get it down a little bit, but you know, only a couple feet below the surface. And then from there, if you don't have downriggers, start putting some weights on it. I'll put a half ounce. I do the Dave's uh, Tango Free because I can just easily uh, run a little inline loop there and pull them in, take them off easily. Uh, I'll start with a half ounce. Then I'll move to a one, maybe a two, maybe even a three. Um, if you're going heavy on your weights, you definitely want to have a little stouter rod if possible. But yeah, um, speed, depth, and size of presentation. That's kind of what Cameron's saying are the big three. So pay attention to those. Kokanee are a blast and it's coming up. I mean, at the time of this release, it's April. Some lakes it's already happening. Other lakes it's going to take a little bit longer uh, for them to get up on the surface and really biting. But it is a year-round fishery if you do have downriggers and a good understanding of how they move. So, again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, please tell your friends about the podcast. And I'd 
definitely urge you on your phone or computer go to amatobooks.com a-m-a-t-o books.com and just order some books or get a subscription and there's information in those books that you'll never find on the internet and it's phenomenal stuff i've even got a book on there called powerbait fishing for trout or rather powerbait tactics for trout and if uh, you guys would like to kind of dial in that game especially if your parents with kids that want to get them out you know maybe there's someone 30 feet away from you that's catching way more than you that little mini book will give you the details to really catch more trout anyway thanks again guys we've got more coming my name is lucas holmgren appreciate you guys listening